0: You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Good morning. We'll be in Genesis chapter 24. Yeah, if you turn there with me in your Bibles, Genesis chapter 24. Verses 1 through 9. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, I will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife from my son there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Lord, again, as we're here this morning gathered as your church, Lord, only in Christ can we hear you. Only by your spirit can we understand. Lord, that we may grow in you. Lord, in knowing you more, that we may be satisfied in you. So we pray, Lord, you would clear our minds and our hearts and that you would speak to us loud and clear. That's what we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've been in Guatemala this past week. Today's goal is to stay upright. If I can do that, I'll be, I'll be happy. Um, it, was a, it was a good trip. Uh, a lot of rain, a lot of mud. We got a couple of houses built uh, for a couple of families and so it was really cool. Um, it was good for me. I'll tell you what I love the most about going is as a pastor uh, to see so many of our people really have just a heart and uh, just a love from the Lord for the people of Guatemala. We go year after year after year and it was really cool to go and see so many people have such a vested interest with their time, with their money, with their resources, to, in Jesus' name, uh, bless these people. So that was really just a a blessing to my heart more than anything to see. I don't know that I was very helpful swinging a hammer all the time, but it was good just to be there and see how God worked. What if though you you met someone, you knew someone, and they said, uh, Nothing is of greater concern to me than the plight of the poor. Oh, Nothing gets me like the impoverished and the less fortunate. And they seem so sincere. Yet you found out about that person. They've never invested any money in the poor. They've never invested time in the poor. They've never shared the gospel with the poor. They don't even know any poor people. All of a sudden, this deep, broken concern, which seemed impressive on the surface, it comes out to be just a hollow emotion. What if someone said, and I'm afraid we say it all the time here in the Deep South, "Oh, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. Yep, I'm a a faithful servant of God. I know what the Bible says, know who Jesus is, know what He did. Oh yeah, I'm a a Christian. Do you believe that person? And more important than even believing that person, does it make it true if you just say it? I don't think so. We're going to look at Abraham in um later chapter of his life, kind of the last chapter of his life. And Abraham will teach us what it really means to be ever faithful to God. To be ever faithful. Look back at verse 1 with me. It says, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife from my son Isaac. So Abraham's two things. He's old and blessed. Uh, He's lived a long life. He's around 140 years old now, okay? Abraham has lived through the fire of trial and tribulation, and through it all, he has known the Lord to be the faithful God of the promise. He has always been, ever since he and Sarah left the life they knew for Canaan, for the promised land. Uh, Abraham endured such a long season of waiting for his aged, barren wife uh, to become pregnant. Abraham often encountered danger from surrounding nations. Yet here he is in the last chapter of his life with ample provision, a son and an heir, and the Lord's hand of protection on him, even the four nations around him, recognizing God's hand upon him. So maybe we don't have all the time what Abraham does. In acute sobriety, a one-track mind, To remain ever faithful to the God who has been ever faithful to him, to us. So now his son Isaac is 40 years old, around 40. And as a good father, and also as the father of the promise, Abraham has a mind to see to it that Isaac marries the right woman. That seems inconsequential. It's not. Not at all. So he requests of his servant, his servant who's in charge of everything that he's got. Servant I want you in the presence of God, out loud, agree to everything that I'm getting ready to say. Now remember, in the ancient world, words carry a lot of weight. Uh, There were no written contracts, really, a person's word. It was as good as their own reputation. It was as good as their own character. So what you said was always linked to who you were. So to make a deal, oral transmission is the way that you did it. He says, also, I want you to put your hand under my thigh. Kind of a weird request. Uh, it, It signifies Abraham's prominence as the head of the house, as the father of Isaac. It signifies Abraham's place as the father of the promise. So in the sight of God out loud with your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear to me you will not let my son Isaac marry a woman from among the Canaanites who we currently live. Isn't Abraham being overly zealous? Isn't he asking a little too much of his servant? This rigid strict adherence to Abraham's direction concerning who Isaac marries it seems really suffocating. It seems really controlling. Why can't Abraham just kind of back off, loosen up, let the boy marry who he wants to marry? Isn't this a little too much? I don't think so. Abraham's son Isaac will experience the grief in his son Esau that Abraham is now trying to prevent in his son Isaac. Look at it in Genesis chapter 26 verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, same age as Isaac is now, he took Judith, the daughter of Barry the Hittite, to be his wife, and Bessameth, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Again, in Genesis chapter 27, verse 46. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life, I hate my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Still, what's the problem? Abraham, Isaac, Rebekah, let the boys marry who they want to marry. What's the problem? Here's the problem from the mouth of God. Exodus chapter 34, verse 12. God's giving them instruction before they take the promised land. Take care. It means be very careful. Take a a very unique, special care for what you're getting ready to do. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their shirum. For you shall worship no other God. For the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods. And you are invited. You eat of his sacrifice. And you take of their daughters for your sons. And their daughters whore after their gods. And make your sons whore after their gods. That's the problem. As an old, time-tested, battle-worn, ever-faithful servant of God and to the word of God spoken to him, Abraham is profoundly aware of sinful man's willingness and struggle to ever compromise on conviction of who God is and what God has said. Servant, Put your hand under my thigh. Say it out loud in God's presence. You will not let my boy, you will not let the child of the promise get in a situation. Will he will compromise on conviction of who I know God to be and what God has said to us. It's a good father. It's the father of the promise. What hinders us from faithfulness to God? One, compromised conviction. Compromised conviction. In the fight to be ever faithful... There is ever present the temptation to compromise. To say it as plain as possible, you are fooling yourself if you think you can dance with the devil and win. Abraham, Isaac, any who are truly the Lord's, we have a God-given discernment to differentiate between right and wrong. This pleases God, this offends God. God God isn't a God of confusion. He wants me to have clarity about who he is and what he expects from me. I can know this from what God communicates to me. Even the power to act on it. That fact is very different from this fact. Not in this lifetime do any of us. Any of us. And I don't care how many Bible studies you've been to. I don't care how long you've been a Christian, how many people you've led to the Lord, uh, how many hours a day you spend in prayer. None of us in this lifetime possess a capacity to be completely invulnerable from the power and allurements of sin and Satan. Absolutely not. Satan, and I don't think we say it enough and realize it enough, is a strong man. He's crafty, he's cunning. He would in a moment's time crush you in your frail, sin condition. You might accuse me of praising the enemy. I'm just sizing him up. We can't dare dream in this life to intermingle in the places and with the people he currently lords over and think that we're not susceptible to the poisonous fumes, the noxious gases of sinful pleasure and lust. yes. By the cross of Christ, our sinful man has been crucified. But as Matthew Henry reminds us, he has not yet expired. He lay dying. And as the sinful man lay dying, he loves to influence. He loves to coerce us to comply with the means and the manners of the enemy's domain. So it's a question then of whether or not we have the same godly humility to recognize as Abraham did. Faithfulness to the Lord. Standing on conviction, it's not found in my ability to coexist with sin, rather, in my determination to stay away from it. And the prideful heart that disagrees only needs to hear the cut and dry words of the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 4, verse 22. Look at it. For my people are foolish, they know me not, they are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are wise in doing evil, but how to do good, they know not. Hey, maybe you're down this morning. You need to pick me up. Let me do you a solid, all right? You know what you're really good at? Doing evil, man. (laughs) Nobody can do it like you. I mean, of all people, you are the best at doing evil. But now it's a double-edged sword. When it comes to doing good, you're pretty stupid. And so am I. Doing wrong is what we're great at. Don't forget that in pride and arrogance. Recall what the Lord said in Exodus. Be careful. Take special care. Only those who are susceptible to the snare of sin and Satan need to be careful. Just such a warning has been issued to us humans in the line, the fallen line of Adam. The indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, the written word of God, they're not there for us so we can go look for and create trouble. They're there when the God-ordained battles come. Otherwise, we're guilty of committing the sin that Jesus resisted in the wilderness. Satan says, jump off the temple. God will save you. Jesus knew that was an affront on God's grace and mercy reserved for when trial comes. The one who regularly walks into sin, the one who regularly surrounds himself with temptation, shows himself to be a compromising child of God, a compromising disciple of Jesus Christ, which is surely a manifest contradiction. If we are to remain faithful to God, It requires a refusal to compromise on conviction of truth, which will certainly mean running from all forms of ungodliness. Running from sin. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us us also lay aside every weight and sin which which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You don't need to be a Greek scholar to understand what the word run means. I looked it up. You know what it means? It means run. The place you are... Progress to the place you're supposed to be. That's what it means. Joseph didn't say to Potiphar's wife, let's be let's BFFs, all right? I don't know that I can go for the adultery thing, but what if we were just like buddies and friends? No, he ran. The faithful don't compromise, they understand it means running from all forms of ungodliness. We don't play a mix and match game. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And at this point, I hear the erring, well-meaning as he may be, but erring Christian hold up the warning sign of legalism. Hold on now. Don't drag me down in your legalism. I live by grace. Legalism is so often a cheap, unconvincing mask put over the life that's lazy in its pursuit of holiness. Jesus died for you because you couldn't keep God's law. And now that he did die for you and he set you free so that you can be aggressive in your pursuit of holiness. That's a perversion of grace to think like that. So as far as the church is concerned in 2017, who's discipling who? Is the world teaching us how to compromise on conviction? Or are we radiating faithfulness to God by our refusal to do so? And you know, we love to lament And I'm probably the worst. We love to lament. Oh, the church is shrinking in the West like never before. Oh, we we don't see a rising tide of godly young people. People are biblically illiterate. Reverence for the Lord, it's all but gone in the public square. And I wonder if we shouldn't sometimes look in the mirror and ask the question, is it so because the world around us, our children within the church, they're not watching us run from hell to heaven, run from the grave to the cross. They're watching us do like this really weird balancing act between the two. Well, I know that I probably shouldn't watch that movie because I probably shouldn't see naked women who aren't my wife, and science even proves that once I see her, that image will be burned in my mind for the next 20 years, but the other 88 minutes is a great movie, man. Wonderful character development. And when I get home, I don't spend a lot of time with my kids and I sit down and watch all the trashy sitcoms. But for some reason where Paul says, no coarse joking, that doesn't apply to what I watch. And ladies, you're fully aware your bathing suit shows just as much skin as your underwear, but it's fashion. What's God wants you to go to the beach in a tarp? Come on. And no, I'm not invested in the local church, but God knows I've got a certain lifestyle I've got to maintain. Who's going to drive that $50,000 boat? And what's the point of working all those extra hours and neglecting the church and my family? I mean, I've got to keep up with people here, right? Don't drag me down in your legalism. Legalism? That's holiness. Look, here's what you should do. You should go ahead, jump off... Enjoy the sin, love it, like it, spread it around, eat, drink, be merry, and die, or turn around and run. This does nothing for no one. Certainly not Jesus Christ. The world doesn't change around us because we're not different. What you see What you hear, what goes into your mind and heart, it changes you, it influences you, it has a bearing on your convictions. Hear the word of God, follow Abraham's example, be careful. Are we careful in the church today? We carefully guard our holiness. To be ever faithful. Verse 5. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife from my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So don't let him marry anyone from here, but certainly don't let him go back there. The Lord will send an angel before you to show the right person. But even if not, don't take my son back there. Again, is Abraham being a little constricting? This is a little too rigid on Abraham's part. It's interesting how Abraham describes God to a servant here. He says that he's the God who took me from my father's house. We've talked about it before, but you, you have to remember, in the ancient world, your father's house, that was largely your identity. Your father's house is where you really belong. You didn't leave your father's house like we do today. You would have added to your father's house by growing your family. This is identity. This is your lineage. This is your heritage. You don't go away from that. So when Abraham left Canaan, he left his identity. Consequently, he left Isaac's identity behind as well. He says he's also the God that took me from my homeland. He took me from my native land. Haran would have been, an uh, ancient Mesopotamia, a very developed city. It would have been a commercial city, given its place on the Euphrates River. Abraham, Isaac, they live lives as nomads on a land that isn't theirs, and a land that God will not give to them in their lifetime. So again, see how faith compels Abraham to ask his servant to enter into the oath. He knows... If my son returns, the temptation to stay will be too great to identify with his father's house, to regain a sense of belonging to his blood family. This is where my dad's from. These people, they look like me. The temptation of comfort and convenience would be far too great. And the ease with which Isaac could part with God and part with the promise far too tangible. So Abraham's faith teaches us what we surely need to hear this morning. Servant, put your hand under my thigh. Say out loud in the presence of God, you will not let my boy, you will not let the child of the promise drown in the comforts, the conveniences of this temporal life and so render faithfulness to God impossible. Don't do that. What hinders us from being ever faithful to the Lord? Comfort and convenience. Remaining faithful to God, it's not a passive, it's not an effortless endeavor. It's the most uncomfortable, inconvenient life that one could ever choose for themselves. If not, everyone would follow Christ. If not, Abraham wouldn't have been a stranger in a strange land, but as it was, he chose to suffer a life of uncomfortability, a life of inconvenience, and at that he was glad for it. Abraham rejoiced in it. Now, what causes a sane, rational man to like his suffering, to be glad in it, to rejoice in it? Abraham saw something, Abraham understood something. He wouldn't stand for his son to lose. What did Abraham see? What did Abraham look forward to that kept him in his suffering? The Gospel of John tells us plainly, In John chapter 8, verse 56, Jesus says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Hear me say this. The unchangeable nature of the finitude of life and the infinitude of eternity are easily and often smothered beneath sinful man's desire to apprehend immediate pleasure and comfort that he gladly sacrifices the permanent on the altar of the immediate. Let me say it again. The unchangeable nature... Of the shortness of this life, I don't care if you get 50 or 150 years, it's quick. And the foreverness of eternity, those facts are easily, often smothered, forgotten by sinful man because of his desire to have pleasure, comfort, convenience now so that he gladly gives away eternity to have one moment. By the working of God's grace, Abraham sees that. And let it sober you this morning. Not everyone will see that. Not most people will see that. His imparted faith allows him to detach himself from the comforts, the conveniences that the world values, that the world prizes. He sees beyond it so that he doesn't miss out on inheriting what he could have for an eternity to come. His faithfulness is apparent, And his willingness to part with those things that aren't flagrant sins. They're not explicitly against God. They're just those things that God told him to part with. Blood family. Native lands. Those things aren't against God. They're what God told Abraham to get away from so that he could inherit the greater, the godly blessing. So don't be fooled. A lot of times in life, it's the good thing that stands in the way of the godly thing, not just what's technically sin, oh, this is technically wrong, oh, this is technically right. No, what has God called you from and to specifically, and will your preferences of comfort and convenience stand in the way of you remaining ever faithful to the Lord? Abraham sees this for his son Isaac in the decisions that he's making right now without needing to consider it know for sure it will come at the cost of suffering it must how can you live in a way that's roundly opposed to your flesh roundly opposed to the world around you and experience zero friction does that make sense so could we say If your life is always comfortable, your life is always convenient to you, is it possible you are, we are in gross neglect of faithfulness to the Lord? Whether by physical trial or some unforeseen transition in life, we can expect to endure seasons of suffering if we're refusing the comforts, the conveniences of a people in a place to which we no longer belong. Abraham desires for his son, then not meaningless pain. God doesn't want that for anyone. Not meaningless discomfort, rather a faith that wells up to eternal life, knowing and being known by Christ. And in this faith there resides unshakable joy of what is to come, so it moves us along in the discomfort now. First Peter chapter one verse three says it well. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. From the dead to an inheritance, it's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, it's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Can we see by faith, like Abraham, can we see Christ? Do we see Christ on the cross? Do we see Christ in glory? Does that move us along? Is it greater? Is it better than the moment we have right now? That's the question. That's the question. I went to Guatemala this last week. I didn't really want to go to Guatemala this last week. Um... It's the petty. I don't love traveling internationally. I hate being away from my wife. And I just, I'm a stayer, not a goer. All these very lame excuses. And right before that, I I went. um, I meet with a guy and we pray in the mornings and we read scripture. And our text that morning was, delight yourself in the Lord. And when when you delight yourself in the Lord, whatever you do for God, man, you can do anything because it's the Lord you're doing it for. So, you know, Pastor Chad schools him on what this means. And he's got the nerve to say to me, after I whine and complain about why I don't want to go to Guatemala, sounds to me like you're, just, you're not delighting in the Lord. You're not seeing this as an opportunity to serve Him. Huh. What a good word. How very true. How few times in life do we see valleys as something we get to walk through for God's glory. How few times in life are we so delighted in who Christ is that what's happening around us, it's as if it's not. Charles Spurgeon says, keep your eyes on Jesus as you suffer. Don't look at the ground. Look at Jesus. Abraham looked at Jesus. Do we look at him? It may not be full-time mission work. Perhaps it is. And I believe there are more people that ought to go than do. The Lord is calling you to an uncomfortable life for His name's sake. Joy filled, but uncomfortable nonetheless. What conversation about the Lord aren't you having because it would be too uncomfortable? Hmm? This is America, right? Everyone has their own space. Everybody believes what they want to believe. You got to respect that, right? What aren't you saying? How aren't you spending your time, your money, How aren't you being faithful to the Lord and how he's calling you to discomfort, to inconvenience for his name's sake. Regularly, we have to beg the Holy Spirit for a recalibration in our hearts concerning the things that we delight in and what we're most affectionate for. Is it temporal life in the here and now? Is it what the world chases after? Is the afterlife a distant afterthought? I can't remember who said it, I read it a while back, every every preacher, if you look at the the scope of all their sermons, there's generally one theme that pops up that they always talked about. I would like to think my thing is eternity. It's always weird to me the idea of coming up on a stage and a bunch of people sitting in a chair and listen to you and you don't say to them, you're going to die soon. I think that's the most kind, charitable thing you could do for another human being. You're going to die soon. You know, in the Industrial Revolution, people wanted to die. They talked about, they sang about heaven. Life was miserable. You worked horrible hours. The conditions were dangerous. You didn't make any money. Your family lived impoverished. It's the opposite today. Man, I love air conditioning. It's great. The internet. My home, it's just can I hit the continue button? I'll just stay here forever, and you can't stay here forever. What are your prized comforts and conveniences in this life? There you discover the things barring you from faithfulness unto the Lord. To be faithful, to be ever faithful. Verse 9. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. So the servant gets it. And Abraham gets it. He's got to do the oath. Abraham understands what we must understand. You can't just say you're faithful to God. You can't just say you're a Christian. To work like that. To be ever faithful, we must be ever obedient. To be ever faithful, we must be ever obedient. You cannot conceive of faithfulness apart from obedience. You cannot have the one and not have the other. Abraham believed and believed in God. Because he believed and believed in God, it moved him to an obedient, faithful life of standing on conviction when it was hard, suffering a lack of comfort in this life when it was most difficult. Because he believed, he knew who God was, and it moved him to faithfulness. It moved him to obedience. Is it true for us? Jesus says it like this in Mark chapter 8 verse 34. I'm calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You know, crosses aren't pleasant things, they're full of pain and suffering. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What is the profit of man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That's not so encouraging at first look. Because I know my propensity to back off of convictions. I know my propensity to want to be really comfortable, man. I want to get there. So how did Abraham do it? How are we supposed to do it? Because that sounds like a death sentence to me. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus will never ask you to carry your cross where he has not first gone. Jesus has already accomplished faithfulness and obedience in your place. So when God calls us to a lack of comfort, when God calls us to inconvenience, when God calls us to stand on conviction, it's not my power and strength. It's through Christ who has already done it well and perfectly in my place. Jesus didn't just stand on truth. Jesus was the truth. Jesus wasn't just uncomfortable. On the outside, he was whipped and beaten and bruised and crucified for me. On the inside, he bore the weight of the sin of the world. Jesus has already done all these things well. You and I this morning only need to do this. We only need to look at the cross of Jesus Christ. See what He's done for us. Believe He's accomplished all things. Believe He's taken away our sin. Believe that in Him, in the power of His Spirit, we can obey. Really obey. Not in our own strength and power, but in and through the One who has already done it for us. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you love that? Do you dwell on that? Is that your Life. It hurts right now. Nobody said that it wouldn't. And if they did, they're lying. But Jesus said it He'd never leave, He'd never forsake. Jesus said He'd be with us to the end. Jesus said there's joy in the midst of the trial. And Jesus said we will be with Him and His Father in glory if we endure until the end. And we will endure. We will be faithful. We will be obedient because Christ has done it in our place. Yeah. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.